Welcome to Politics and Psychology. This is the podcast where we give psychological insights for America's social issues, sensitive topics, and controversial conversations. I'm Dr. Renee Carr, your host, and I am a political and corporate advisor and a psychologist. So I apply the psychological science and I use that to help elected officials at the state and federal level understand social issues or resolve social crises. I also provide media commentary where I provide unbiased, fact-based, science-based information where individuals can make the best decisions for their lives and for their loved ones. And that's the same thing that I will provide for you every week on our time together in this podcast. So today we are discussing the plastic bag ban. So you may have seen this in your own state where grocery stores, restaurants, and even some farmer's markets are no longer allowed to sell or distribute plastic bags that are single use, but they are instead allowed to give out paper bags. And if so, they must then charge for the paper bag. But have you ever thought, well, if we're not using plastic bags anymore, what is the connection to using paper bags that you are charging us for? Because plastic and paper are two completely different industries. Well, this was the question that I had. And so I wanted to investigate what is the real reason uh, or the motivation behind this. So that's what we're going to discuss today. Now, when you just look at plastic bags in general, every year around 500 billion plastic grocery bags are used across the world. And there is an estimated 8 million tons of plastic that ends up in our oceans annually, again, across the world globally. When plastic bags are discarded improperly, meaning they're just thrown away, not recycled, not put into the little bag where you can recycle all the other plastic bags, then what happens is they pollute the waterways or they clog the sewers or they get into the oceans. And once they are in the ocean, then marine animals, fish, turtles, etc., they mistake the plastic for food or they get themselves tangled up in it. So this was the beginning of the argument for legislation for enacting a plastic bag ban. The second part of the argument is that it takes 20 years for a single-use plastic bag to break down. And when those plastic bags break down, they go into tiny fragmented particles called microplastics. These microplastics are then either absorbed into the water or into the earth. And then when the wildlife, when the fish, when they consume these, and then we then consume those animals, it gets into our bodies. In addition to just the microplastics, Another concern about the plastic bags being improperly disposed is that the plastic bags contain chemicals and those chemicals are toxic to the wildlife that may accidentally consume the bag as a whole or that may unknowingly consume the toxins or the microplastics because it has been broken down and then it's either in the water stream or in the soil and then either they're eating the plants that were growing from that, or they're eating the animals that were directly consuming, and then we are then consuming those toxins. So then you have three different areas in which ultimately 
these plastics are being consumed and the plastic particles are toxic in addition to the compounded toxicity of the chemicals that are within those microplastics. So all of those facts make a very valid argument, a very scientific argument for reducing or eliminating single-use plastic bags or plastic in general. In addition, it's compounded by the fact that the average American consumer also consumes or uses 270 single plastic use bags a year. So when you think about how all of that can pile up, then that would be a very shocking number to consider. And if a politician were running for office, election or re-election, this would be a great platform to use on their campaign because it would shock individuals enough to vote for them if they're promising to make a change and to protect their food chain and their food sources, as well as their environment, their parks, their natural resources. However, that's only part of the story, and it's only shown in a very minute or microscopic lens. It's not telling the whole story, because when you look at plastic consumption or plastic bag and plastic sack consumption, according to the United States Environmental Protection Agency or the EPA, plastic bags and plastic sacks make up less than 3% of all environmental litter. They also specifically talk about plastic grocery bags making up less than 1% of all litter. So if this plastic bags for the grocery stores were the main issue, then it would have a greater significance than less than 1% of all litter or less than 0.3% of all municipal solid waste or local waste. So I hope you see that this is a very classic, a very common way of where real science Real research is used to manipulate the public or to manipulate voters to believe something or to react in a certain way that benefits an entity, an agency, or a purpose or agenda that has nothing to do with what we are being told. And the plastic bag ban is an example. So let's look at how this plastic bag ban started. So starting around 2007, over 265 cities and counties across the country, they started implementing local legislation for plastic bag bans. But it wasn't until 2010 when the first jurisdiction, which was Washington, D.C., began to actually charge for the plastic bags. And that was a charge that was passed on to the consumer, and that was five cents. A few years later, in November 2016, California became the first state to pass statewide legislation that banned single-use plastic bags. Now, because this was a new thing that was happening, not only were they banning plastic bags, but then also charging consumers, and this was a statewide rather than a local legislation. So to measure if this landmark statewide legislation for a plastic ban had any real impact or any significant impact on reducing the amount of plastics or microplastics in the ocean. Then a 2017 study was conducted by the Ocean Conservancy and testing the California coastal watchers. 
And what they found was it did reduce the plastics in the ocean, but only by 0.2%. A simultaneous environmental study also found that although there was a 0.2% decrease in plastic pollution in the water, there was a simultaneous increase in plastics in the landfill. And that was because while they were reducing single-use plastic bags, again, it's only 0.2%, but while they're reducing that, they had a, a significant greater increase in plastic bags still being consumed because they were using larger and more plastic trash bags that were then going into the landfill. There was an earlier study, and this one was conducted in 2015, and they studied in Austin, Texas, the effects or any impacts of their ban that they had on plastics between 2011 and 2013. And what they found that during that two-year period, although people had stopped using the single-use shopping bags, they were using the reusable plastic bags. And when they were using the reusable plastic bags because they were plastic, they thought they were doing a good thing, they then put those plastic reusable bags into their recycling containers. Now, reusable is different from recyclable. Recyclable means those bags can be repurposed or recycled into something else. When it is a reusable, those bags are not recyclable. They have a thicker plastic. They still have the plastic um, microplastics and the toxins in them. And they also have thread or some sort of stitching that is also not recyclable. So by putting these reusable plastic bags into the recycling stream, it actually caused more environmental pollution and those plastic bags that were reusable still had to go into the landfill. So the city of Austin, Texas also found that there was no significant impact in the use of a plastic bag or a single plastic or a single use plastic bag ban. Now there are other studies that will show from third party objective um, scientific reviewers or environmental reviewers that having a plastic ban does improve the um, or does reduce the amount of plastics and microplastics in the ocean or in the, the, the ground. And that is a good thing. The issue is not if not having plastics or microplastics in our food or in our environment is unhealthy. We already know that it's not healthy. We already know that it's toxic. The issue is that they're misrepresenting the facts and they're also attaching to that misrepresentation of facts a monetary value. So when you look at the legislation for each state, um, for each city or each county that has enacted a plastic bag ban or a plastic bag fee or a plastic bag tax, the legislation in each of these articles, and I will include a link to all these legislations inside the body of these, um, the description for this episode, when you look at the legislation, every legislation requires the consumer to pay five cents, eight cents, or 10 cents, depending upon the state. But in either instance, they are requiring the consumer to pay a, we'll say 10 cent, we pay this 10 cent tax or fee. They are also prohibiting or making it against the law for the grocery store or for the retailer 
to not charge that 10 cent or to absorb that 10 cent within that corporation or within that grocery store. They are also not even allowing the grocery retailer to even give away the paper bags or give away the reusable plastic bags unless it's for a 10-day initial period of the transition or on Earth Day. So the grocery stores are now being legally required to charge the shoppers for every grocery bag that they have, every paper bag, or requiring them to sell plastic reusable bags. But why would they make them suddenly charge for these bags? If you look throughout grocery store history, you know, in the beginning it was paper bags. Paper bags were considered a part of the cost of goods sold or cost of manufacturing goods or the cost of operations for doing business. So if they have already included this as part of their budget, what would be the benefit or the reason for why they are now being required to then charge the consumer for this? And even if they don't want to charge the consumer, they can't give a coupon for it. They can't waive it. They can't even say they will reimburse you for it. They are required to. And why? It's because that produces tax revenue for that local or that state government. When you read the legislation for the cities, counties, or states that are requiring the grocery stores to charge the shoppers for the grocery bags, there is also writing that specifies that for every, well, again, say 10 cents, for every 10 cents that you collect for a grocery bag, then you must give us 50% of those proceeds and you're allowed to keep the other five cents to cover your cost for producing or for buying the bags. So again, if they have historically from the beginning of time already consumed the cost of having grocery bags so that shoppers can put their groceries into the bags that they are purchasing, why now is the government interceding and telling the grocery stores that the shoppers have to now reimburse you for the grocery step bags that you've been giving out since the beginning of industry times. Well, that's because they get the tax revenue from it. Let's look at Washington, D.C. Remember, they were the first jurisdiction to actually charge. Since they launched this legislation, they have accrued over $10 million. And in 2022, they had $2 million that they accrued in bag tax revenue. Virginia, also in fiscal year 2022, they collected $2.3 million in bag tax revenue. Chicago, between fiscal year 2017 and 2022, they collected nearly $50 million in bag tax revenue. In 2019, Connecticut only collected $7 million in bag tax revenue. And I say $7 million because what they projected to collect was $27.7 million. And that's important to know because if states, if local jurisdictions are counting on bag tax revenue for part of their budget, but they are then not also having transparency on how those collected funds will be allocated or spent. And that's really good information to let us see that it's not really about saving the environment 
or improving our food supply or the integrity of the foods that we eat, but it's more about funding governmental operations. Similarly, every other state or every other city that has required this plastic bag tax fee or charge, they also are using this as governmental income and revenue. In the legislation, some is transparent and will say that the funds that are accrued from these bag taxes are to be allocated, for example, for cleaning watersheds, for educational purposes of um, reducing plastic use, for giving plastic bags to lower income individuals or marginalized communities, which I'm not sure how that's a good benefit. But anyway, <laughs> and then they also may say that they're using that to clean up the landfills or to clean up other clogged areas and water sewers. There are also states that have no transparency in the legislation for how the tax bag or the bag tax revenue is going to be allocated. In fact, they specifically use language that says that the tax fund manager or the city supervisor of those funds has discretion on how the fund should be allocated, or they may even use the specific wording of, quote, that the manager is authorized to adopt interpretive rules for the budget. For the states or jurisdictions where there is transparency, they're often saying that money is going to be used to fund programs or departments that have been in existence for decades. So in either instance, the consumer is being required to supplement the budgets or to fully fund budgets that have already been in existence for the governmental agency or to offset the cost for the grocery retailer that has been paying for this cost all along. Now, from a psychological standpoint, from a behavioral standpoint, it makes perfect sense to charge the consumer a fee because that fee will then trigger the individual to want to avoid a loss. This is called loss aversion. And loss aversion meaning I'm going to avoid losing the additional 10 cents after I've already spent several dollars already buying groceries. So I will then bring in my own bags. And the reason why they're using this technique of behavioral conditioning to bring in your own bags is because theoretically it's to then train you or train your mind to then see plastic bag use is not only bad for the environment, but it's personally bad for me financially. And that way they can hope to then reduce plastic use and reduce microplastics and chemicals in the environment. And again, all of this is great information if it were the only information or if it were the full story. When you actually look at plastic bags versus paper bags, they're putting the paper bags and making you buy those and saying that it's an alternative and a safer um, option for the environment. When in actuality, producing paper bags requires 70% more energy to make than a plastic bag. Producing a paper bag also requires 96% more water to produce than using it for the creation of plastic bags. Also, paper bags require the cutting down of trees, 
which is the complete opposite of preserving and protecting wildlife, especially when trees are necessary for humans to breathe natural air and to help clean out the air. So if the governmental agencies were truly making wildlife preservation, the environmental protection, and the safety of human food consumption their number one priority, then what they would really do is prohibit plastic bags as well as paper bags. And they would, just like what we had during COVID-19 or during the pandemic, they would have signs on the grocery stores telling them that you can't come in unless you have your own reusable bag to carry the groceries. And the legislation that allows the retailers or the grocery stores to keep a percentage or a small uh, portion of the 10 cents that's being collected They specifically allow for them to use that to create signs to let their shoppers know that they are going to be charged 10 cents per bag or to bring in their own bags. So just like with the mask mandates and they had signs everywhere that individuals greeting you at the front of the grocery store telling you that you can't come in without a mask, they could also have them have greeters at the store telling you you have to make sure that you have your own bag before they even get into the store. They could also charge the corporations or the brands that are either selling or manufacturing single-use plastic containers or packaging within their state with those single-use plastic items then being transferred into their trash or their recycling streams or inappropriately being disposed. And in that way, they are making accountable the entities that are actually creating the single-use plastic products rather than charging unfairly the consumers and putting the burden on the grocery store retailers to then charge the consumers for products that they have to have in order to be able to use their daily essential goods and services. So overall, do the single-use plastic bag bans work? Yes, because it helps individuals to understand that we can find alternative ways of holding or carrying our groceries, but it's not really the consumer who is responsible as much as it is the corporations that are creating the plastics that are in a much higher use and create a much higher devastation and negative impact on our oceans on our wildlife and in our food, they are more responsible for creating the plastic toxicities and the microplastics in our environment and in our food much more than the shoppers and consumers that are using the single-use shopping bags. So even still, as consumers, we still must do our part to protect the environment despite the misinformation And despite the misappropriation of accountability of who was truly responsible for the 97% of the plastics and the microplastics in our oceans and in our landfills, although it's not the end user, which is us, the consumers and the general public, we can still do our part to contribute to a healthier world and a healthy environment. But we have to also do our part and be mindful and understand that not every campaign promise nor every proposed bill or legislation that says it's for our good is truly for 
our good as voters or as the general public as much as it might be for the good of an entity that has nothing to do with the true betterment for that state or our country. So don't be afraid to look at the legislation, ask me if you're not sure, or ask your congressperson to explain it to you and make it make sense and transparent for how you will truly benefit from having to absorb a loss. You can also share this information and insights with others so that they can do the same and advocate for transparency on costs that are pushed onto consumers rather than the individuals or the entities that are truly responsible for the burden. But whenever you continue that conversation, remember to do so using science and love. And if you run to 